When a dad and his family came into church one weekend, his son saw the dad put a $1 bill in the offering box. As they were driving home after the service, the dad started complaining. Here's what he said. I didn't like the music. The sermon was too long. Sorry about that. The room was cold, and the people were very unfriendly. He just went on and on. He found fault with virtually everything about the service. Well, the son is sitting in the back seat. He was quiet for a moment, and then he spoke up, and he said these words, Daddy, I thought it was a pretty good service for a buck. So last weekend, we were reminded that spiritual growth is intentional. It's not automatic. You've got to go after it. You can't just wait and suddenly think you're going to grow. Our main idea today is this. No one can give everything, but everyone can give something. Now, for many pastors, a sermon on giving ranks right up there with having a kidney stone. <laughs> While some of us get uncomfortable preaching sermons on stewardship, I don't. Here's why. Because stewardship is an essential part of our spirituality. I would have to apologize to God if I did not preach on the joy that comes from giving what God has given to us. Now, I want to just be upfront because you're probably looking like, why did I come today? I'm not out to make anyone feel guilty. I'm not out to coerce you to part with some of your cash. I mean, rest easy. We don't pass a plate anymore, right? And our giving on top of that has been very good this year. Now, this sermon is addressed primarily to those of us who consider Edgewood to be our church home. If you're our guest today or you've just been coming just for a few weeks, uh, we're glad that you're here. But please don't feel like we're after your money because, well, frankly, we're not. To begin today, I want to invite us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this will lay the foundation for our message. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, this is how one should regard us, this is the Apostle Paul writing, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Notice first, we're servants. This word for servant is different from some of the other words translated as servant. This one literally means under or beneath. This word was used of the lowest, most menial, and most despised galley slaves who rowed on the bottom tier of a ship. Even though Paul was an apostle, he saw himself as a servant. Notice, secondly, we're stewards. Now, what's a steward? A steward is someone who served as the manager of a master's entire household. He wasn't the owner, but he was responsible to oversee and administrate what had been entrusted to him. The key expectation, would you notice, is that the the manager, the steward, would be found faithful. We see this in Luke chapter 12, verse 42, A, a, a manager must 
oversee the affairs and possessions of another and be faithful and wise. Listen to verse 42 of Luke 12. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Here's a very helpful definition of stewardship. The committed management of all God has given to us out of love for him in order to grow his kingdom and bring glory to him. Now, an example of a faithful servant steward, well, that would be Joseph, who functioned faithfully in Potiphar's behalf, according to Genesis chapter 39. Uh, We read there, beginning in verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight, that would be Potiphar, and he attended him. And notice what Potiphar did. He made him overseer, steward of his house. And he put him, Joseph, in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Now, on the other extreme, there's an example of an unfaithful steward as the manager who squandered his master's possessions. Oh, we read about that in Luke chapter 16, verse 12. And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So stewardship. Stewardship is a major theme in the Bible. Why? Well, it It affects every aspect of our relationship with God, and it ranges from the opening chapters of Genesis when Adam and Eve were called to be stewards of creation all the way to the closing chapters of Revelation when God will make his children stewards of the new creation. We could say it like this. Stewardship touches our time, our talents, our treasures, our temple, well, we don't usually think about that related to stewardship, but our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit if you're a born-again believer. Our bodies don't belong to us. They belong to him. And finally, our testimony. We're to steward our testimony to make sure we're always sharing the gospel of Jesus. So question, how are you doing or are you doing what you can with what God has entrusted to you. You see, your responsibility is always tied to your ability. I mean, not everybody can give the same, do the same, because we all have different abilities. Uh, Check out Deuteronomy chapter 16, a, a book of the law. You see such grace here. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. The word generous, as used in the Bible, means to show mercy or favor, to be freely gracious. So someone with a generous heart is ready to give with grace, to give with liberality, while a stingy-hearted person, they don't give grace. They don't like to give forgiveness. 
They don't like to give anything because it's a heart issue. And God celebrates, he rewards generosity. Proverbs 22, 9, he who is generous will be blessed for he gives some of his food to the poor. One of the best books on generosity I've ever read, it's a very short book, it's a small book, it's called The Treasure Principle. It's written by Randy Elkhorn. Let me just share three of the main ideas. Number one, this is so important we get this, God owns everything. And I am his manager. Proverbs 24.1, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness therein, everything, the world, and those who dwell therein. So when I honor God with my giving, I'm declaring he owns me and everything that I have. He has the rights. I have responsibility. He's the master. I'm the manager. I'm the servant, the under rower. He is the sovereign. It might be helpful when you talk about money, perhaps just Calling it something different could help remind us. Instead of saying my money, I refer to it as God's money. It was Abraham Kuyper who said this, in the total expanse of human life, there's not a single square inch of which Christ, who alone is sovereign, does not declare that is mine. Number two, my heart always goes where I put God's money. Now, we tend to think that our money follows our heart, but Jesus said it's the other way around. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, what you treasure, what you think about, what you invest in, well, that's where your heart's going to be also. Money leads and our hearts follow. So by giving to God first and giving him from my best, Ah, I make sure my heart then is focused on heavenly things. It was S. Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, often said this, it's okay to have wealth, but keep it in your hands, not in your heart. Number three, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. The church at Corinth experienced this, 2 Corinthians 9-11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. John Bunyan, the guy who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, offered this insight. A man there was, and they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Now, generally, our preaching practice here at Edgewood is to unpack one primary passage of Scripture. Today, well, we're going to do a survey of several Scripture passages. Let's start in the Old Testament. Actually, let's start in the last book, the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. Head over to the book of Malachi and listen to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will man rob God? This is God speaking. Yet you are robbing me. And the people are like, you see it right there, they're like, what? How have we robbed you? And God says, here's how you've been robbing me, in your tithes and contributions. The word rob means to take forcibly. So 
How could they be stealing from God? Well, they were taking what belonged to God and they were keeping it for themselves. Now, as a way to recognize God's rightful rule and his omnipotent ownership of all things, God's people in the Old Testament were instructed to give tithes and offerings. That word tithe literally means a tenth or 10%. Now, some would say that that teaching is based on the law, but let me just point out that Abraham voluntarily practiced tithing 400 years before the law was even established. So when we grovel about giving, we're like, "Eh, I don't want to give. Or we withhold what is his. This passage says, in essence, we're robbing God of his right, listen, to use us to propel his purposes in the world. Look at the first part of verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So what's the storehouse? Well, the storehouse was a part of the temple. It was like a chamber, a room where tithes and offerings were kept. Here's some summary statements about the application of tithing for today. Number one, while we're no longer under the law, tithing is a good benchmark for believers. In other words, it's a good place to start, sort of like a minimum guide for giving. Tithing is God's historical method to get us on the pathway of giving. We could call it the gateway to joy through the giving that God allows us to do. Number two, it's easy to tithe and yet miss out on what's really important. So the Pharisees, Well, they not only tithed of their money, they like opened their spice cabinet and they started giving 10% of their dill and their cumin and whatever they had there and they became very self-righteous about all that. They're like, yeah, we're giving 10% of everything, so there. Jesus pointed out and said, you guys are missing it because you're not loving God with everything you have and you're not loving others. You don't care about mercy. Thirdly, the practice of tithing is a good reminder of who's in charge in my life. So when I give at least 10%, it's a way for me to be reminded that he owns 100% of what I have. So when we give 10% of our income to God, we're saying we trust him to enable us to live on 90%. So it increases our faith and our trust. Notice how verse 10 ends, and thereby put me to the test. Now that should give us pause. We're told to not test God. And yet here, God invites us. He says, if he pleads with us, he's like, go ahead. Put me to the test. See what I'll do says the Lord of hosts, that's Yahweh, that's Lord Adonai of the angel armies. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. 
To test means to investigate or prove something is true. God says he'll open wide the river of heaven and blow us away with his blessings. The word pour means to make empty. So when we trust God with our giving, he says he will empty his bucket of blessings on us. It's as if God is saying, I dare you to just try and exhaust me with your giving. Just try and outgive me. A story is told of a missionary who heard a knock at his front door. He went to answer the door, and there was a young boy at the front of his hut holding a large fish in his hands. The boy looked up at the man, to the man, and he said, well, you taught us what tithing is, so here, I brought you my fish, my tithe. Well, the missionary took the fish, and then he asked the young man where the other nine fish were. The boy flashed a radiant smile, and he said, oh, they're still in the river. I'm going back to catch them now. (laughs) See, he caught the importance of first fruits, first fish, if you will. Friends, settle this. No one can give everything, but everyone can give something. Let's head over to the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew, verse, chapter 6, verse 24. Uh, we read these words. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for either, the strong language, he will hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. The word Jesus uses here for money is mammon. That's a proper noun or a name. Ultimately, mammon described an idol of materialism. While the King James uses the term mammon, a lot of other versions translate the Greek as money or wealth or riches. Some scholars cite mammon as the name of a Syrian god. So watch this. Jesus viewed money as a rival for preeminence. Attachment to money leads to a detachment from God. And the Bible's clear about the venomous nature of loving money as a master. Here's why. It fights for supremacy in our lives. And it has many characteristics of deity. It provides or promises to provide security and freedom and power. Now, to be a committed Christ follower requires service and sacrifice and stewardship. This type of allegiance cannot be rendered to two parties. So whatever we devote ourselves to, well, that becomes our God, small g. And the tension many of us experience when we try to love God and love money Well, that tension will sooner or later show where our real loyalty lies. Jesus said, only one master will win out. So money's not just this neutral medium of exchange. No, money has a power with a life of its own which seeks to control and even consume us. And the goal of this money master is total domination of your value system without you, without me even being aware of it. So if you're serving the money master, Jesus says his words, you'll be unable to fully serve God. Would you note, he doesn't say 
you better not, or maybe I think you shouldn't, or it would be unwise to serve both. Oh, no, his language is much stronger. You cannot serve God in money. As such, how we handle the money God's entrusted to us has a lot to do with how serious we are about loving and obeying and serving God. Now I'll admit, the words of Jesus are unsettling. If you love money, you'll end up hating God. If you're devoted to the pursuit of possessions and the making of money, you'll find yourself despising or sniffing at or being bored with the things of God. You will never be able to fully love God if you're in love with money and all that money can buy because loving God and loving money are mutually exclusive. Now, in general, the New Testament heightens rather than lessens the teachings of the Old Testament. Consider with me 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12. We read there, or verse 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there'll be no collecting when I come. We see four things about giving here. It's to be punctual. Notice on the first day of every week, it's to be personal. Giving is between you and God. Nobody else needs to know or has to know or does know. At the same time, the Bible makes it clear that every believer is to give, each of you. Notice thirdly, it's to be planned. We're to put something aside and it's to be proportional. Ah, the New Testament teaches proportional giving. We're to give according to how God has blessed us. We're to set money aside as he may prosper. So proportional giving means the more God blesses us, the more we're able to give, which in some cases would involve giving more than 10%. I see some of our Augustana students here. And when you're in college, I remember when I was in college, man, giving $5 was a lot. So it isn't so much the amount God is saying, give proportionately as you've been blessed, give out of that. We could say it like this. According to Malachi, the more you give, the more you're blessed. First Corinthians teaches the more you're blessed, the more you can give. Someone put it like this, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. Yee. Now, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully ah, will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So here we read what we sow, we will reap. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Our giving shall be done cheerfully. Well, that comes from the Greek word hilaros, from which we get hilarious, do you know God wants us to be hilarious in our giving? He wants us to be filled with joy when we give, not reluctant to do so, not giving out of guilt, but giving out of 
great joy. I'm convinced that one of the reasons Edgewood is such a joyful church is because you are ecstatic about your giving. When we give hilariously, we experience the love of God in a new and fresh way. Every year, Beth and I receive letters, usually in the springtime, from high school or college students that are going on missions trips. And I got to tell you what happens in our heart when we get those letters. We can't wait to give. We get so pumped about that. To see teenagers and young adults wanting to serve Christ in a cross-cultural setting, we can't wait to get on board with that. And we give with great joy and excitement, praying that God would use them during that short-term experience and that that experience would mark them for the rest of their life for kingdom purposes, either that they'll become full-time missionaries or that they'll come back and become givers themselves for the gospel. Oh, I hope you've experienced the joy of giving. There's nothing like it. God blesses when we give. Oh, would you notice all the alls in this verse? They sound like I'm from the South. All the y'alls, alls, all the, here they are. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I don't know about you, but I want to give to the Lord because of how much he's given to me. Here are some different ways we do that at Edgewood. Uh, Beth and I write a check, and you can put that in the offering boxes. Or you could give cash. We have uh, offering envelopes in the seat backs and the resource kiosks. Some choose to give stocks or bonds or gifts in kind. Uh, Some include Edgewood in their will. Uh, You can mail your offering to the church office. Some set up automatic funds transfer or ACH with their bank. Or you can use the secure online giving feature on our website, edgewoodbaptist.net, or give through our mobile app. We also have opportunities throughout the year to participate in various over and above giving opportunities. Our next one will be the Baby Bottle Project that will launch on Mother's Day weekend where we collect change and dollar bills for pregnancy resources. Now here's some action steps to help us live this out. Number one, we want to see everyone at Edgewood serving in a ministry. Colossians 4, 7 says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. So are you ready to use the time and the talents God has given you for his glory as his servant, as his steward? Will you serve God and others for his glory? I mean, one benchmark to shoot for would be to tithe your time. We've mentioned that before. If the average work week is 40 hours, you could say, God, I want to, by your grace, serve you at least four hours a week in a ministry. Now, there's a number of ways that you can serve in our community. I love it when Christ followers are serving in the community as they live on mission. One of those ways is with Youth Hope. They're one of our Go Team partners Uh, Three weeks from yesterday, they're having a spring cleanup at Camp Summit 
and they have a lot of needs. We have needs in our Edge Kids ministry, VBS is coming up, preschool substitute helpers, summer Sunday school teachers. Other ways you could serve would be driving a van or preparing a meal for Celebrate Recovery, visiting shut-ins, or serving on guest services. Here's what I believe. If you offer yourself to the Lord and you say, Lord, I want to serve you, make me aware of a need and how you can use the gifts and abilities that you've entrusted to me, he'll lead you to that. And if we can help you with that, you can make a note on your card and put it in the offering box. Number two, we're encouraging everyone to consider giving 1% more this year. This past November, after hearing a sermon in which we were all challenged to become more convictional and compassionate in dealing with the confusion in our culture, a married couple came up and said these words, because our church isn't afraid to tackle controversial topics, we've decided to increase our giving. Should we give to help pay down the mortgage or should we direct our giving to the general budget needs? According to a LifeWay study released just this past week, three out of four churchgoers say tithing is a biblical command that applies today. Yet, studies indicate that only 5% of churchgoers, some studies show it's higher than that, actually tithe. Well, this guideline of tithing will help us move toward grace giving as taught in the New Testament. So, Here's a good question to ponder. Does my giving reflect the grace of God in my life as I offer to him, listen, what belongs to him anyway? It's not really my money that I have to part with. It's his money he entrusts me with for his glory and his purposes. And I wonder what would happen if each of us gave 1% more Can you imagine the ministry that could take place? Could you imagine the global impact that that would have? Oh, and parents, make sure you're teaching your children that when they have a dollar, to set aside 10 cents of that so they develop the habit of giving that will stay with them through their whole life. Number three, we're asking everybody to be engaged with at least one missionary. We've been praying that God would raise up more missionaries from among our membership here at Edgewood. So this is how it's worked. Traditionally, missionaries from other parts of the world will contact Edgewood to see if they could partner with us. And many of our missionaries have reached out to us and we're partnering with them. But here's what's been happening the last three or four years. God has been raising up people from Edgewood who are here during our worship services, who've been growing through student ministry and mainspring, and they're like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and serve Christ cross-culturally. And we've said this before, but there are only three options when it comes to obeying the Great Commission. Go yourself, support others, and send others, or option three is to disobey. So we go or we send others. And I'm thrilled that so many are willing to go. But here's a concern I have. Even though the church is getting behind them through our budget, and we're doing that in a generous way, many of our newest missionaries don't have enough senders to help them go. 
Our two GO team members who are in the Middle East right now have spent time with our preschoolers. And now the preschoolers take an offering in class to support missions. That little baggie, it says $20 preschool tithe for missions. So as three and four-year-olds come into the class, they're dropping their quarters and their pennies in there. It's teaching them the importance of giving and in the process, growing within them a heart for global missions. Let me give you a few updates. You heard about Alex and Laura Logan. They were here several weeks ago. They're back from Japan. They were raising additional uh, support to go back to Japan. In the process, she found out she was pregnant, and so their support needs have gone up. I am pleased to report they have received 100% of their support to head back to Japan. EJ, EJ has received 100% of what she needs. She's a young adult. Many of you know her. She's serving in the Middle East, and she'll return in late summer. SW is at 81%, and she's also serving right now in the Middle East. She'll be returning in June to finish her support raising. By the way, as a practical way to support her, you could head over to the cafe and just say, hey, I want to send some money to the person who's in the Middle East. And we have it set up where you could give $3, and that $3 will be transferred to her so she can use that to have coffee with somebody that she's building bridges with. By the way, all the proceeds from the cafe go to underwrite the cost of camps, retreats, admissions trips, I heard this week they're now serving energy drinks, and I kind of took that personally. I'm like, well, maybe people need that to stay awake. And I thought, well, whatever. If it helps, go get one. (laughs) Another young man who grew up here at Edgewood through Awana Junior High and high school is now in college. And while he's been in college, he's changed his major, and now he's majoring in missions. And he's going to Germany this summer. Some of you know him. Will Holst, that's Tiffany Mason Garb's oldest son. Um, He's at about 50% of his needed support. And Aaron and Amanda Langworthy, Edgewood members, are preparing to go to Uganda. They've received 59% of their outgoing needs and 20% of their monthly support. Uh, They'll be giving an update in about three weeks. Now, in order to help us learn more about who our Go Team partners are, we're putting together a booklet that has all their names and contact information. That booklet is almost ready, and we'll make that available soon. Number four, let's pay off our facility expansion mortgage by the end of 2024. Thanks to your extremely generous giving, The remaining balance on our facility mortgage just keeps going down. It's now less than $1.4 million. Just since January, nearly $210,000 has come in to pay down the principal on the mortgage. Now, if you're new to Edgewood, we call this generosity initiative grow time. And you can learn more about that on our website. We brought this back up on the homepage Any giving directed to grow time goes toward paying down our principal, thus saving significant money in interest. Like many others do, when Beth and I write our check, we include an extra amount designated for grow time. 
We'd love to see God pay off this entire mortgage by the end of the year. The interest rate on that mortgage goes up in October of 2025. So friends, let's buck the trend of only throwing a buck in the offering, unless that's all you have. Let's give God our all because he deserves it. See, the key is not just giving from our livelihood. Ah, no, the key is to give our very lives to Jesus. Check out what Paul says about the Macedonians who gave. And this, they didn't give as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, We don't own ourselves, for you were bought with a price, so therefore glorify God in your body. One Saturday night, uh, several years ago, I was out in the lobby, and I was meeting people. And I love to meet new people, and this new couple came in, and I could tell from talking to them that they had never been to church before. And they showed up here at Edgewood. I was excited to have them until I remembered what I was preaching on that night. I was preaching a message on tithing. (laughs) Now, earlier I mentioned that I don't get nervous speaking about stewardship to believers because it's part of our discipleship. Uh, But I do get a little anxious when a new person who has never been to church before comes for the first time to hear a message on tithing. Well, they had their guard up, and I remember they came in the worship center, they came all the way down the aisle, and they sat in the second row. So while I'm preaching on tithing, I would glance over, and I'd see the wife kind of very nervous and fidgeting. It's like she couldn't get comfortable. She would like touch her hair and shift her body weight, and and inside I'm thinking, oh boy, oh boy, I wonder what's going on with her. Well, after the service, she wanted to talk to me, and now my guard was up. (laughs) But here's what happened. She told me as she listened to the sermon, she started calculating what 10% would be in their budget, and then it hit her that she hadn't even given 1% of herself, her life, to God. And she said, she told me that night, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Later, I asked her to put it into words. This is what she wrote. I was stressing about the fact that I was not paying God back for all he had done for me when really I hadn't even given my life to him. I knew in my heart that Jesus had already paid the price for my sins and that faith in him was the only way to salvation. And I had the joy of witnessing Jesus save her that night. I think it's the only person that I've heard of, there might be more, who got saved during a message on tithing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but perhaps that's you today. You're here today and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here, or maybe God's drawing you and you know he is. You're engaging online and you're like, man, I've not given God anything. I wonder if today would be your day of salvation when you respond to his gracious mercy and grace, no conditions attached, and you say, God, I want to give my all to you. Or maybe you're already saved and you're ready to become a member 
You're like, I've been here for a while, but I, I want to jump in and I want to I be a part of gathering, growing, giving, and going with the gospel all for the glory of God. Let me tell you about everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Uh, there was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. (laughs) Friends, no one can give everything, but everyone can give something. God, I want to pray for that individual right now who is at a point ready to say, God, I've just been living for myself. I've been keeping for myself everything that you've given to me. I've been living for myself with no thought of you and very little thought of others. Lord, I confess that as selfishness, and I call it what you call it, sin. But Lord, I don't want to keep living like that, so I repent. I turn from that way of living. And I turn to you, Jesus. Thank you that you gave your all when you died on the cross for me. And when your blood was shed, that blood paid the full and final payment for every one of my sins, those really gross, ugly sins, and those sins I commit without even knowing it. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again on the third day. And now I receive you into my life. Save me, Jesus, from my sins. Make me born again and help me to live for you where you are preeminent in my life, number one. Help me to live under your leadership and your lordship as an under rower, as a servant, and as a steward for you. Help me to be a faithful follower, a disciple who makes disciples. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.